This story starts with a very bad man doing a very bad thing. King Herod had arrested some of the Christians, including a man named James, one of the original 12 disciples. Herod had him tried, and he beheaded James. When Herod saw that his poll numbers with the religious authorities went up dramatically, he doubled down and went after the biggest fish of all. He went after Peter, the recognized leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Herod couldn't resist showing off his power by having Peter grabbed and incarcerated. He knew that the Romans also liked law and order, and showing that he could be firm with the people he knew would impress Rome. So his poll numbers going up with the Jews and also pleasing the Romans, what better reason than to go after Peter? So he planned soon after the Passover feast to have Peter tried, in really a show trial, and then executed. Herod came from a long line of despots. His grandfather had been king when Jesus was born. He's the one who, when he found out from the wise men that there was a king that had been born in Bethlehem, he went and had all the boys under two years old in the general vicinity killed. Herod's uncle had been in power when Jesus was crucified. Jesus was brought to him, and what Herod asked, that Herod asked, was that Jesus perform a miracle. In other words, all he saw Jesus good for was a party trick to impress his friends and neighbors. But Jesus refused. So Herod allowed the process to go on that resulted in Jesus being executed, crucified on a cross. Now this Herod had been educated and raised in Rome. He owed his position to his Roman friends and the security to his good favor with the religious authorities. So he put a plan in motion. Herod was also a careful man. So he put Peter in prison, but he took unusual utmost precautions to make sure that Peter was secure. To allow Peter to escape would have been an embarrassment, so he took maximum security precautions and made sure that Peter was secure beyond anything that he would do for anyone else. Which is why, if you've already heard, as you've already heard, the story ends with Peter being released from prison. It, makes, it shows you how incredible it was that Peter walked out of prison on his own. But humanly speaking, at this point in the story, it looks bleak, even hopeless. Given the safeguards that Herod had put in place, there's no possibility to escape. So let's just imagine that you're one of the Christians in Jerusalem. Herod's thrown everything he can at you. He's killed James. Peter's in jail with his execution scheduled for the next day. So what can you and your little powerless community of Jesus followers do against the armed might of the king? What can anyone do when bad people do bad things? Well, what they did was to pray. And you may be thinking, really? That's all? Aren't you going to at least protest? Or maybe even grab a few swords and try to incite a rebellion against the king? Or maybe play it smart and run for the hills? But instead, you're going to pray? That's all? Well, that's exactly what they did, as nuts as it sounds. With Peter's execution looming in the morning, they gathered for an all-night prayer meeting. That's because smart people ask God for help, and the way we ask God for help is to pray. So Luke tells us that the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. And that's when things get interesting. It's the night before Peter, uh, Herod intends to have Peter executed. And Luke gives us some more details about how securely Peter's being held. But as it turns out, it doesn't matter. Because what happens is an angel appears, bright lights, it's a dramatic scene, and yet Peter's asleep. So the angel wakes him and his chains fall off. And he's led miraculously through one gate and then another and then out a third. And half asleep, Peter isn't even sure that what is happening is real. 
It isn't until he's through the last of those three gates, sets of doors, that he realizes he's truly free. Now remember all the precautions that Herod took. It was impossible that Peter would walk out of there on his own, but he did. It was more than likely, 100% perhaps, that he would suffer the same fate that James did and lose his life. But then an angel appeared. It's clear that Herod's plan was thwarted, that God directly intervened in response to the prayers of the Christians. Once Peter realized that he wasn't dreaming, he went straight to Mary's house where the Christians had gathered. Apparently it was a large house with a courtyard and a gate or all around the property. So he knocked on the door and everyone froze because they likely thought that perhaps a soldier was outside waiting to arrest them. Peter knocked again, and so they sent a servant girl named Rhoda. She came to the door. She didn't open it for fear that it might be somebody who would do them harm. She asked who it was, and then she heard Peter's voice. She was so excited and thrilled that she ran back to tell the others, forgetting even to open the door. But when she told those inside what she had seen, they didn't believe her. They thought she'd saw a ghost, or worse, she was crazy. But she insisted it was really Peter, and Peter kept knocking. So finally they went and opened the door, and there he was, and they were flabbergasted. Now there's humor and irony woven all through this episode, because here they are. They've been praying all night that Peter would be released, and when he's miraculously freed and when he shows up and arrives, they don't believe that he's there. On top of all of that was Peter's own disbelief. The whole time the angel's leading him out of prison, he thinks he's in a dream. What I find so interesting about this story, the way that Luke tells it, is how similar Peter and the others are to us. These aren't spiritual superheroes. Like us, they're half-believing, faith one minute and doubt the next kinds of people. So when they finally open the door, they're astonished. Even though they've been fervently praying for his release, they really didn't think it was possible. By the way, we need to understand that even when we think it's impossible, when we don't fully believe, pray anyway. When Peter was eventually allowed in, he told his amazing story, and they were thrilled. He made sure they knew that it was the Lord that had brought him out of prison. And then, knowing that he was in great danger, he left immediately and went to a secret place, likely outside of town. Now, I want to pause for a moment here and make a few observations about prayer that we learn from this story because it illustrates some of the most important principles for why and how we're to pray. First, know that God invites us to pray. That's why with Peter's life on the line and their safety at risk, the Christians went to God in prayer because God delights in hearing our requests. Also know that God listens and answers our prayers. One of the things I love most about this story is that no one actually believed that what they were praying would happen. How do we know? Well, because when Peter knocked on the door, they all thought it was not Peter. They were caught off guard. They were so surprised that they thought that Rhoda was off her rocker. Now, to be fair, the odds that God would come through were long. On one side was Herod with the entire power of the state and its military behind him. And on the other side, here were a few Christians with just the power of prayer. It did not seem like a fair fight. But I don't want to come down too hard on them because I think we're often in the same place that they are. We try to pray with confidence, but we have our doubts that he will come through. And that's for good reason, because there are times when we pray and our prayers are not answered. And we see that plainly in the story here. In the part that we just read, the people prayed and Peter was delivered from certain death. But earlier, the Christians prayed just like that for James. 
for James to be rescued. And he was not. He lost his life. Now Luke doesn't speculate on why these two incidents turned out so differently. We need to pray believing that God can answer our prayers. But we also pray putting our requests in his hands, trusting him, and submitting to what his will may be in these things. It doesn't matter how full of faith or how earnest we are, we have to put our trust in him. Now sometimes we know why God says no. Sometimes God has something different and far better for us. Other times we are grateful later that he didn't answer our prayers. Sometimes what happens is far more profound. Instead of getting an answer to our prayer, God changes us from the inside out, making us into different people, transforming us, making us people of character. We should pray with confidence that God will hear our prayers and answer them, which is quite different from praying that God will give us the answers to every prayer that we pray. We must pray with faith, but also with trust and submission. We bring him our hopes and dreams, our cares and concerns, and put them in his hands. We tell him that we know that we can trust him in the very end. Not our wisdom, not our might, not our money, not our connections, but we trust him. When he answers, we stand amazed in the power of God, his miraculous power. Yet we also remain steadfast, even in the presence of tragedy and disappointment, knowing that God will ultimately triumph. The Christians in Jerusalem may have prayed more out of obedience than faith, but to their credit, they prayed. They believed that God could free Peter, so they prayed and God answered their prayers. And he showed them that he was not hindered by chains and locked doors, that he had more power than kings and soldiers. Nothing is too difficult for God. We know we can trust him. We know that in the end, either God will answer our prayers now or he will when Christ returns. He will make things right in the end. And we have an example of that, too, in this story. Luke does something important in the way that he tells this story because he starts, as we've already noted, with a bad man doing a bad thing. Because that's the way the story starts. And it's the way that the world that we live in is as well. Bad people do bad things. But what Luke reminds us with the way that he ends this story is that God will make all things right in the end. So Luke starts and ends this story with Herod. For Herod, it's a humiliating ending. Just as Luke makes it clear that Peter's release from prison is the divine intervention of God, so does he make, let us know that Herod's death is also God's divine intervention. What's interesting here is that we have a completely different account of this particular story of Herod's death, this kind of gruesome, awful event. Because a man named Josephus, a historian from the ancient, in the ancient world, provides us with an account of this event and gives us more detail. Since you've already heard Luke's version read, let me just tell you some of what Josephus has to say. The occasion apparently was an athletic competition, kind of like a mini Olympic Games. It was held in the honor of the emperor. And Josephus tells us that Herod entered into the arena and he was dressed in a cloak made of silver cloth. And in the sun, it just glistened and shined. And then he gave a speech that apparently was great. The people were so impressed, and perhaps to flatter him, or maybe not, they said that his voice was like that of a god, not a man. Josephus says Herod accepted their flattery, then looked up and saw an owl perched on a rope. He saw it as a bad omen. He was then seized by violent abdominal pain. He was carried to his palace and died five days later. Now, while Josephus adds these interesting details, it's Luke who pulls back the curtain and tells us why what happened happened. 
Herod's gruesome death came, Luke says, not because he, because he accepted the crowd's statement that he was divine, instead of pointing the crowd to God, the only one worthy of praise. That's why God allowed this illness, this sudden illness that took Herod's life. What Luke wants us to understand that, is that any leader, no matter how powerful they imagine themselves to be, and how much praise they receive from others will be punished if they do not then give honor and praise to God because it belongs to God alone. Herod believed he was in control and he had no idea that he was powerless before God. And God is the one who makes things right in the end. History is littered with the stories of proud tyrants who believed too much their own press and came to ruin, which is why the proverb says pride comes, goes before a fall. History is in the hands of God, not in the hands of the powerful. Jesus himself told Peter and the other disciples that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. It would not stand up against the power of the church and the message of the cross. Now, few of us will ever fall prey to the temptation that Herod fell prey to because we just don't have that kind of power. But we maybe do something almost as bad, and that is to give allegiance to a leader like Herod a charismatic leader, whether in business or politics or even in the church, someone who projects authority and power but does not honor God, does not acknowledge him, does not give him glory. The ability to inspire people is a gift that can be used for good or for evil. So be careful of who you choose to follow. Closely examine their character. And if the life of a leader does not show a signs of virtue, things like the Beatitudes that Jesus gave in the in the Sermon on the Mount, or Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't see those kinds of qualities in a leader, then be careful. Luke concludes this section with a powerful sentence. He says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. What we see here is a complete reversal. At the beginning of this story, Herod is on the rampage. He's arresting and persecuting Christians. James is dead and Peter's next. But at the end, Herod is gone. Peter is free and the church is expanding to more and more people who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. You see, in our day, as in theirs, there are bad people who do bad things. But God tells us as his people that we're to ask him for help, to pray. That's because he invites us to pray and he listens. Now our prayers can change the future. That's because in the end, God will make all things right, whether now or when Christ returns. But I've read the story all the way to the end. And in the end, God wins. Amen.